Let's take our Bibles and let's go to the book of Matthew, please. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 through 38 is where we'll be today. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. You'll find that on that book rack Bible, uh, in the book rack Bible on page 1510. 1510 if you need help finding your way there. Maybe you have a smartphone that has like a thousand translations of the Bible on it already. It's amazing what technology gives to us. So what have you got? Tablet, smartphone, Bible, uh, get to Matthew 9. We learn a lot from the way Jesus did ministry. We learn a lot about ministry from the way Jesus did ministry. Learn a lot about life from the way Jesus did ministry. This morning, the text we're going to be in is going to show us the way Jesus did ministry. And we're going to pull some things out, but I think you'll become really familiar with this rather quickly. It's a familiar text. Uh, For a reminder, for those of you that are newer with us, we've been walking verse by verse through the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in here almost a year and, um, and in the book of Matthew, there's sort of a toggling between uh, narrative and discourse, okay? Narrative are the works of Jesus, the life of Jesus as you watch him perform works and miracles and so forth and, and go around where he went when he lived on the earth. And the, uh, the discourse sections are the teachings of Jesus when he actually begins teaching his people. And that's the way Matthew sort of lays out uh, for us the proof that Jesus is the Messiah. We can trust him. He's our Savior. He's Lord. We are amazed and in wonder at this Nazarene who took uh, and gave his life for us so that we could have life, eternal life. And uh, so Matthew does this. And we've been in a section, a a narrative section for the last few months, chapters eight and nine. And today we're nearing the end of that section. And next week we'll be back in a discourse section for a few weeks. And so that will help us see again the rhythm of this amazing book. But what I want you to see from the text this morning is that this is a paradigm shift. Matthew's giving us a, sort of a, a hinge text, I would call it, to show us where we've been and where we're going. So keep that in mind as you now read with me verses 35 through 38. And in your own mind, be asking yourself the question, what is the way Jesus did ministry? Okay, Verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. That's where we're going to stop. Okay, in this section of scripture, I I see four distinct and sequential principles, four distinct and sequential principles as to how Jesus did ministry, how Jesus modeled ministry for us. And this is a familiar section to most of us. I think most of us have, if you're following Christ for a while, you've read this, you've come through the gospels and you've come to this text. And I point out to you that uh, these principles that are sequential uh, help us to see the way Jesus did ministry. So as we walk through this this morning, I want you to ask yourself, is this the way I do ministry? And then I want you to ask also about this church, the church that you're connected to here at Three Crosses. Is this the way we do ministry? Because we should always evaluate ourselves and the churches that we attend by what the scriptures show us. And I hope this will be encouraging, challenging, and stretch us a little bit this morning. I think it will. So here are the four uh, principles that I call uh, successive or sequential principles of ministry that models the way Jesus did it. 
Uh, doing ministry Jesus' way, verse 35, involves the principle of immersion. Let's say the word immersion. Okay, what do we mean by immersion? Well, we mean a few things, but let me just walk you back into it and just point out in verse 35 that Jesus went through all the towns and villages in Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching. So what we've got here is a picture of Jesus. One of the fundamental pictures of Jesus' ministry was that he, uh, he was immersed in the culture that he came to save, the people that he came to save. Jesus didn't stay in an ivory tower. He didn't just stay at one. It wasn't just at the Capernaum synagogue, you know, first synagogue of Capernaum that Jesus showed up every Sunday and, and taught and preached. Jesus moved around. Jesus went different places. This is a beautiful picture. If it said nothing else about Jesus here in this text, we would be reminded that Jesus was on the move. So if you're taking notes, the one thing I want you to see about immersion is that it involves movement. It involves getting out. It involves uh, spreading ourselves out a little bit and and moving around. Uh, Not confined to one place, but moving around. I mean, here we are today. We're the church at the Three Crosses, and here we are. There's probably about 2,400 of us will be gathering here today, Eight or 900 in the first service, 1,200 or so here in this service, another three or 400 uh, tonight. And, and here we all are, and yet this is not the end all of our ministry. I mean, we invite people up here, but uh, in a little while from now, we're all going back into our communities. And while we meet together, we, we leave this place and we move out. And Tomorrow this time, tomorrow this time, there's going to be about 2,400 missionaries, we hope, all throughout the East Bay and around the Bay Area, uh, being a witness for Christ and doing ministry the way Jesus did it. I mean, think about this. Uh, In neighborhoods, workplaces, classrooms, boardrooms, hospital rooms, conference rooms, offices, shops, marketplaces, all over. I mean, in cars, in BART trains, Cal trains, Uh, taxis, Uber, uh, restaurants, parks, baseball diamonds, basketball courts, football arenas. Do you get the picture? I mean, we gather here, but that's not where ministry stops. Ministry goes out, and there's 2,400 of us. Now, maybe not everyone's a Christ follower here. We're glad you're here if you're not a Christ follower. We hope one day you will give your life to Jesus and understand that he came, died for you, and you can stand in amazement of that. And hopefully at one point or another, that's going to connect with you and you're going to respond to the grace of Jesus Christ. But there's a lot of folks that are going to be moving out into our mission field. I mean, I, sometimes I want to just put a sign over our back fence that says you're now entering your mission field, you know, when you leave here. Because we forget sometimes. We think that ministry is here and that's where it sort of like ends and and that's wrong. That's not right. Um, I was looking at our little Castro Valley. I live in Castro Valley. How many of you live in Castro Valley? Just let me just see. Okay, a lot of you. Well, you get that little paper, little forum that, you know, you get. And I was so encouraged this week when I opened it up and I saw that my good friend uh, and co-laborer in ministry, Pastor Jake Medcalf, who's been over about eight months now over at the First Presbyterian Church in Castro Valley, last Sunday, they did a, a short kind of abbreviated service, and then they all left the church, and they went to Strobridge School, and they did a work day there. And you saw it in the paper. I saw it. There were bags of trash and clippings. They had done some landscape things. They, I mean, there was tons of people and tons of trash and bags that they had picked up And I thought, how cool is that? Way to go, Pastor Jake. That's awesome. Getting people out of the church and into the community. And I have a feeling the people around Strowbridge School kind of scratched their head at that a little bit and thought, well, who are all these people? and Why are they serving us? And I think that that's awesome. That's what the church is supposed to be about. 
The church isn't just a huddle where we get together and sort of pat ourselves on the back. We move out, and we move out into mission. Um, and, and so we do that by, by doing some of those things I mentioned. We also, as a church, can look for ways to move off the hill and into the community by things like uh, church planting and uh, supporting local and global missions. You know how there's so many ministries going on right in the East Bay that sometimes that we support, but some of them we don't even support financially, but we see them out there, and we, we should just be thinking, thanking God that there's, there's movement out there, and some of us could find some service opportunities in some of those places. And it's just a great thing. I was with a group of about 300 pastors, three 400 pastors last couple Sunday, Saturdays ago, and I was so encouraged. It was out in the Tri-Valley area. And there's a real movement that started out there, started a few years back where some churches got together and, and uh, decided to volunteer some time to the city. And, and so here at this meeting where I was just two weeks ago, the city of uh, Dublin's mayor was there thanking these pastors for the great contribution. They've, I don't know, donated thousands and thousands of hours volunteer time uh, from churches in the Tri-Valley area. There's about 18 churches that are working together on just volunteer time for needs in the city, needs in the community. That's incredible. That's great. I go, thank you, Lord. That's so great. And, and how can we leverage that? How can we encourage that? I mean, I think of uh, church planters that I know in this community uh, that are in the Oakland area or in the Hayward area. I met with uh, one church that has been, exp- they've done a multi-site cornerstone out in Lover- Livermore. Some of you know about the church. It's a great church. Pastor Steve Madsen, friend of mine. And uh, they've started a little church plant now over in uh, Hayward right there at the Hayward Cinemas. And this summer when I wasn't preaching one of the Sundays, I just wanted to go. I want to experience it. It's a multi-site. They actually, you know, put... Uh, the preaching from Steve Madsen on the screen. And so I, I walked in and I was, I was just so blessed. Saw some people that used to be at Three Crosses. Now they're serving down there. They've gone out there and now they're over here. And, you know, I just, it blessed my heart. I saw, talked to the pastor. I said, we got to do coffee. So just last week we met, Pastor Paul and I met. Paul Lux is the pastor. And just had a beautiful time sharing. And I wanted him to know, I'm so grateful he's in our community. I know it's a struggle. I know the challenges that are involved in setting up and tearing down and doing all that kind of work. And I just wanted him to know, we are for him. He's not in competition. We're not upset that he's in this area. It's awesome. We had a great conversation. And I want you to know that. And and over the next few months, I just feel like, man, I'm going to start bringing in some of my church planning friends. I'm going to let you know about what they're doing. I want us to pray over those folks. I want us to think about in our own hearts, what does God want to do in our church? Maybe church planting is in our future. It ought to be. I mean, we ought to be thinking about ways to get off this hill and out into our community. That's what it's about. So if if, if immersion means anything, it means Movement. It also means, if you're taking notes, if it means movement, it also means uh, enrichment. It not only means movement, it means enrichment. And I show you this uh, because notice it says, he went about in all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom. Uh, It's one thing to bring the presence of Jesus. It's another thing to bring the message of Jesus. And and you you can't be in immersion if you're not... Watch this, if you're not moving around and if you're not uh, bringing the message of Jesus. So it's not just the presence of Jesus, but the message of Jesus that I see here in this text that's important. Jesus taught and he preached. Uh, And then not only is there movement and enrichment, but there's also uh, amazement. 
And I see this with what it says about Jesus healing every disease and sickness. Now, Matthew is pointing this out to his readers because he wants everybody to know that when Jesus came on the scene, it was a game changer. He was a game changer. It was not business as usual. It was not just religiosity. It was not just going through motions. For Jesus, uh, it was power. It was miracles. And I know we get a little funny about that, and and we ought to be in some ways because there's a lot of shenanigans that are going on out there under the name of Jesus and miracles and all that. Um, But let's not forget that we serve a miraculous God. We serve a God of the supernatural. And wherever God is with his people, there is supernatural breakthrough happening. And supernatural breakthrough starts with and really is the crescendo all at the same time of a heart that has gone from darkness into light. So don't ever minimize that, you know, salvation is the greatest of all of God's miracles because he literally is raising people from the dead, right and left. The Bible says we were dead in our transgressions and sins. Do you really believe that? Before you came to Christ, we were spiritually dead. And it took a supernatural work of God to, to, arise, to arise us up and to give us life. That's amazing. Think about it. If you know Jesus today, you have, you have the most amazing miracle that has taken place anywhere in the world. And it's in, in your own heart. But God does other things beyond that. I mean, uh, I mean that's the crescendo. But there's, uh, there, God does heal. Uh, he does bring us breakthrough in relationship uh, situations. He works in troubled marriages. He helps kids that are dealing with stuff. and gets us off addictions. All those kinds of stuff. God's power is limitless. And we should just recognize that when he's at work, those are the things that, that happen. So, and that's what immersion means. I mean, Jesus went around all over this area of Galilee and served by teaching, preaching, and healing. His ministry presence was felt and his message came through. And that's what the church of Jesus Christ is about. And if we want to do ministry like Jesus, if I personally want to do ministry like Jesus, I need to be committed to the principle of immersion. And so do you. And so does this church. A second principle I observe here in verse 36 is that not only does Jesus' ministry involve the principle of immersion, but it involves the principle of compassion. Say the word compassion. And notice Matthew says about Jesus, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. And he gives reasons why. We'll get to that in a minute. But I just want to point out this word uh, compassion here because it's a big word. It's an important word. And notice that Matthew points out when he saw the crowds. Um, I, I know that some of us, and by the way, I, I said at the beginning, I don't know if you heard me say it, but I'm going to say it again. These are sequential principles. So if immersion isn't happening, I'm going to suggest that, that compassion's probably not happening either. I, I mean, let's just be honest with ourselves a little bit here. When we think about the word compassion, most of us, I shouldn't say most of us, some of us don't feel ourselves to be very compassionate. We, we feel like that's kind of a weak spot in our lives. Can I suggest to you that one of the reasons why we feel maybe weak in the area of compassion is that we're not immersed enough. We're not close enough to people to actually feel their pain. So we're really good in evangelicalism sort of sitting back at a distance and sort of looking at all the people out there. Let, let someone else as a gift of mercy deal with people that have problems. You know, that's not for me. That's for you guys with the gift of mercy. That's what we think. But Jesus, Jesus, the way he did ministry is that he had compassion on people. Why? Because he was immersed. And notice, he couldn't care about what he didn't see. But when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. So let me ask you, who do you see? What do you see? 
I mean, let's take, for example, people that look at homeless people a certain way. And you might think, well, you know, home, I know people are very jaded. And maybe for good reason. Maybe they had an experience with someone in their family or a friend that became homeless. And they looked at the sort of the trajectory of their life. And it just all makes sense. Yeah, you did this. And then you broke out this. And you, 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 know, you cut yourself off from this. And eventually, you know, the, the world gets really small. And now here you are. You're homeless. You made your bed. You got to live in it. Some of us have that mentality. And it's not really that we don't care for homeless people. It's just that we, watch this, we have never been close enough to somebody to actually feel their pain. But if you want to change that perspective, if you have kind of a hardened, jaded view of homeless people, can I just invite you to go out with our Cross Streets ministry on a Friday night or spend a Saturday morning when you've got some time to do that with our Cross Streets ministry and just be up close with people. Because when you get out there on the street or here where homeless people come on Saturdays, they come on Sunday mornings. Um, If you're a homeless person, you're sitting in our congregation today, we're so glad you're here. Uh, But there's something about when you're walking up to somebody who um, may not have had a shower for a while and you see the weathering of what life has done because of the unspeakable, unthinkable uh, travesties that have come into their lives, some of the things that they have perpetrated themselves and other things that have just been foisted upon them without any choice of their own, and, and you stand in close proximity and you smell their breath and you smell their body and you, and you touch their weathered hands and they are so grateful as tears come out of their eyes saying, thank you for looking for me, thank you for bringing me this meal, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, your, your heart starts changing, <laughs> And you don't leave there, and the next time you see a homeless people go, oh, they made their bed, they should live in it. You go, wow, I remember Frank, or I remember Susie, or I remember Kathy, or I remember John. What a life they have. What a tough life they have. You, you start feeling compassionate. Or some of us, you know, when you think about uh, people, uh, older people, for example, I'm around a lot of younger people and a lot of older people, and actually I'm kind of leaning toward the other side now. I'm, I'm more of the older person. And sometimes I sense younger people kind of looking at me as sort of like, you're old and you're out of it. Have you ever felt that before? Yeah. You know, I got gray hair. You know, I walk into a room, oh, there's the old guy. I mean, I, I get, and that's just in my family. But anyway, that's, uh, I, I am old. I am old. But, but the reality is, you know, God gave me a heart for old people. And I don't know why, but I know how he did it. Because as a pastor, you spend time going into convalescent homes. You go into places where there are old people, or older people, I should say. And I've learned a lot from older people. And I'm so grateful that we've got a lot of older people here in our congregation. I talked to someone this past week who was involved in a church plant in a community that all it was was young people. There was, I mean, there was nobody over 35 years of age in their whole church of several hundred people. And they were saying to me, this is really interesting to, say, to hear this person say this because they were in that demographic. They said, you know, the travesty was uh, there was no wisdom, true wisdom in that church because they didn't have anyone old enough to be able to go through enough of the rhythms of life to say, you know, you're too uptight about this. Relax. Life has rhythm to it. I mean, they just didn't have that kind of depth. And so I say to the younger people of our congregation, thank God for the older people in our congregation because they can be, not always, age doesn't always mean wisdom. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) I mean, you can be old and be really foolish. But wisdom does come with age. There are cultures that venerate the older people, the elderly, because of their wisdom and their stature. 
And that's really a cool thing. And I think that's something that every church ought to model. But I remember going into some of these places as a pastor, and I'm going to room 110, bed B, and on my way there, I'm walking by people, you know, little ladies in their wheelchairs and older gentlemen sitting on a couch, kind of a blank look on their face. And I remember going into some of these rooms and talking to some of the people that were there and then leaving, and the Holy Spirit just sort of tapping at my heart saying, what about all those people you just walked by? And so now I kind of, when I do that, and I don't get a chance to do that all the time, but there are times where I will do that, and I just book a little extra time because I want to, when I get there, I want to sit down with that elderly woman and just see how her day is. When I walk by her, when I see a little glimmer in her face, like, oh, someone's here to visit me. (laughs) And I've had the experience where someone thinks that I'm their son. (laughs) And I realize, oh, we've got dementia or Alzheimer's here. And that's... And so guess what? I'm going to be their son in that moment. (laughs) Whatever it takes. I don't know know why God gave me a heart for older people, but I know how he did. He did it by putting me alongside of older people and letting me see and sense a little bit of what their life was like. Of course, I watched my parents age. They've passed on. They've gone home to be with the Lord. And my generation is now following that. And I'm getting up in years. I'm getting so up in years. (laughs) But you know what? We're all heading in that direction, aren't we? And so it's really good to learn and value and support. I mean, all I'm saying to you is that you can't feel for what you don't see. And if you don't ever see, if you don't ever get out, you will not have compassion. Let's look, look at the word compassion there. If you're taking notes, I just want you to, there's no blank to fill in or anything. But the word, and you won't be able to spell this, trust me. It's blank nidzomai, the Greek word. The point is, though, that this word is a word that deals with strong emotion, to feel deeply and sympathetic for something or someone. Um, most of us are rather stoic. We're a little hardened in our hearts. And we've got a mentality that says, I've been there and done that. and Just move out of the way. I've got an agenda. I need to keep working. Um, but Jesus, when he saw people, he felt something very strong, very deep. And here's why. Look at verse 36. He saw them harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. The way Jesus saw people, he saw them as rent and mangled as if by wild beasts, bewildered, lost, and in great trouble because there were leaders who didn't or wouldn't or couldn't follow up and shepherd them as they should. Jesus felt for that. And so now I, as I study this passage, and it's not, um, not something that I recently discovered, but it's something that I keep discovering, is that there's a world out there of people around me, people in my neighborhood, people in my work, in the work environment that I'm in, people uh, that are all around us, people driving by on the freeway, there's just scads and scads of people everywhere, and, and I'm thinking to myself, it's sad that so many of these people do not have a true shepherd that actually cares for them. And that that goes for churches, pastors. I know pastors that, and I can't be anyone's judge, but it appears from their lives that they are really more like ranchers than they are shepherds. You know, they, they are good at moving product, but they're not so compassionate. And, uh, and so I, I first examine my own life. You know, do I stop? Do I listen? Do I take time with people? Um, and that's important because that's the way Jesus did ministry. I mean, he didn't just move off of people and run away from people. And I'm sorry, I'm in my ivory tower. Don't touch me. Um, but it's a, it's a tension. 
It's a tension for sure. Now, I have to think that Jesus might have been thinking about Ezekiel's words, and I, I'm looking at the clock here. We've got a few minutes. Um, if you go back to the book of Ezekiel, and if you can't find it, you're using that book rack Bible, page 1341, Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, Ezekiel was one of the major prophets of the Old Testament, along with Jeremiah and Isaiah. Ezekiel prophesied during the exile of God's people when Nebuchadnezzar came in and took Judah captive and brought them into the land of Babylon. Ezekiel was one of the prophets that spoke to the exiles about uh, uh, Judah's apostasy, about Judah's leaving God and all this rest. But, But God comes to the people, his people, through Ezekiel and says, here's one of the big problems. This is why you're in exile. Uh, And he says it in verse 2. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourself with the wool and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains, mountains on every hill, every high hill. They are scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched for or looked for them. That's the message of God to the people of God. Now, let's be honest. In the context of Ezekiel's day, the shepherds were the kings. They were the leaders of the people of Israel. But here it appears that Jesus, when he had compassion on the people, was sort of looking at the horizon of the religious leaders of his day. Because he wasn't thinking about Rome. He wasn't thinking about Rome not being the shepherds of God's people. He's thinking about the shepherds of God's people. He's thinking about the religious leaders, the priests, the Pharisees, the ones who knew the law, the ones who were quarters of the law. And when he looked at their lives, he said, Maybe, maybe when Matthew picks this up, maybe there was a a connection between what the indictment given by Ezekiel in the Old Testament, 575 B.C., and what Jesus was looking at the people in his day. And I think that there's something about today, too. I, I think it's sad that a lot of people aimlessly go through life with no real shepherd in their life, nobody that really cares, nobody that's going after them, nobody that's searching them out. There's a lot of stray sheep out there. There's a lot of hurting people out there. And a lot of people, we just fold our hands and we say, well, you know, let them come if they come, if they want to come, but we don't really do much to go after them. I I think of our care ministries that are so beautiful. And while many of them meet on our campus, they have a a beautiful sense of going after because the the word gets out that if you've lost a loved one, you can get care here. If you've going through or been through a a divorce, you can get care here. If, If you've got this need or that, you can get care here. So many people go through life without care. So many people die alone. And what a beautiful opportunity we have to learn ministry from from the Nazarene, from Jesus. A ministry of immersion and a ministry of compassion. There's also the principle, remember these are successive. They're sequential. So we move from immersion. When we immerse ourselves, sooner or later, we see enough to where we start feeling. That gives us compassion. And then, the, then comes the principle of motivation. Say the word motivation. motivation. Now look at verse 37. Jesus said to his disciples, 
And I have a feeling that this is not just his 12. This is probably those that were gathered around him. Because in the next chapter, chapter 10, verse 1, he pulls his own 12 aside. So I think these are followers. It's probably a pretty good group of people here that Jesus is talking to. And he says to them, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Um, the harvest is plentiful. What he's saying is, and you remember when Jesus invited people to follow him, uh, especially those that we know were his disciples, he said, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. And he's, giving, he's painting a picture there. He's, he's giving us a beautiful picture of the way ministry ought to work, that there's a, a harvest to be brought in. There's a, a catch to be brought in. And I love fishing. I'm, I, I totally get that picture. I'm a fisher. Anybody else fisherman here? I love, I, or fisherwoman, whatever. You love fishing, <laughs> don't want to be sexist in this. We all... I, well, I've learned, oh, I'll tell you a story real quick. Um, well, I, okay, so let me, let me back up. When I, I live in Castro Valley, when I drive by Cole Canyon Reservoir down there off of Higher, and it's off to the left there, when I drive by that reservoir, I'm rarely, if ever, I don't think I've ever been tempted to go home and get my fishing pole and come back and fish there for an afternoon. I've seen people fishing there. I've never seen anybody catch anything there. I'm, I'm sure there's some fish in there, or there were fish in there. Now it's kind of a mud bank. I don't know what it is in there. Not real motivated. But I know where there are fish, and one place I know where there are fish is the ocean. There's tons of fish in the ocean. And so I, I, every summer I have the privilege of getting a little vacation away, and, and I bring my kayak, and we stay up on, on the north coast, and, and I go out in the ocean in my kayak, and I fish. And this last summer, just a few weeks ago, here's a fish I caught. Check this out, okay? That's, that's, that's a 25-pound uh, lingcod. And I caught it in my kayak. It had its way with me for a while there. <laughs> my, my son-in-law was with me, and he did really good too. Check this out. The, he, caught, he caught the one on the left. The one on the right is the fish that I caught. The, there were, notice mine's a little bigger. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, couldn't help. Um, those fish are amazing. And look at this. This is how they look like. And when you look at their mouths, check this out. These are the most vicious predatorial fish in the world. They are, they are crazy, crazy. So I've had fish, these fish in my kayak thinking that they were like dead, come alive. <laughs> that makes for a really interesting paddle back to the shore. It's crazy. They're delicious fish. Anyway, but I started saying, oh, oh and I was talking about not being sexist. So, so I'm, I'm down at the fish store right down there with, um, right there on uh, Forest and Castro Valley Boulevard. And there's a little gal in there who's just an amazing fisherwoman. She's crazy about fishing. And so she's the one. I, I went back in the store and I showed her the picture of my fish. I go, thank you, because I always catch like these 10 and 12 pound link out up there, but I know they're bigger. They get to like five feet. That one was like three and a half feet. I know they're out there. And so I'm in the store before I go away and she says to me, oh, you want to catch some big ones? I'll tell you how to catch a big one. And she hands me this lure, and she says, this is the lure you want to use. And I've never caught anything on a lure in the ocean. So on this trip, I'd run out of my live bait, and I thought, well, I'll give it a try. That's how I caught Mr. Monster. <laughs> so I go back, and I say, you are amazing. You know, like, so now I'm in there all the time. What other secrets can you give me? You know. She's so helpful. She's amazing. So... Where are we going? Oh, yeah, so motivation. <laughs> so he, so Jesus, Jesus paints a picture of the opportunity. 
He says the harvest is plentiful. It's like, it's like fishing in the ocean. There's, there's no shortage. I love what Pastor Jake Bielig, our former senior pastor, he was here for like 42 years in the senior pastorate. And I've, you know, he's, uh, bless his heart, he's home with the Lord now. A couple of years ago, he went home to be with the Lord. But here's one of Jake's sayings, and he had a lot of them. But one of the sayings was, there's never a shortage of sinners. There's no shortage of sinners. I like that. It just kind of, you know, went into my spirit. What he meant is that everywhere you go, there are people that need Jesus. People at work, people on the bus, people on the train, people in your neighborhood, people at school. There's never any shortage. And so we ought to be looking at the opportunity that's always around us and not ever thinking that we've sort of like finally reached our max of opportunity. There's no, there's no shortage. There's no uh, limit. God can do anything. But notice Jesus also gives the challenge. He says, but the workers are what? Few. He, sa- he says that a huge opportunity Big upside, but also big downside. There's not enough people doing the job. There's more people ready to respond to the gospel than there are people willing to go tell the gospel. Now listen, I'm, I'm out there with a lot of folks. I do a lot of what I call cultivating. I meet with people. I talk. I get to friends. It always should start with friendship. You know, don't pound the gospel down people's hearts. Get to know people. Love them genuinely. And as, as you do that, you'll find that their lives open up. They start saying things and sharing their thoughts and ideas. And it becomes very natural to share your heart, share your thoughts. And I've noticed that I do a lot, of, a lot of sowing without a lot of reaping. It's a tough, this is a tough world. It's a tough place. People's hearts are hardened. I have a feeling we got to really hang in there. And the harvest is coming, but don't forget about it. Don't forget about that the harvest is coming. But the harvest doesn't come if we don't sow, if we don't cultivate, if we don't fertilize the ground, if we're not out there doing what we can to show the love of people being salt and light that Jesus told us to be. And so there's this picture of motivation, and I just want to, I don't know, I'm not trying to be a motivational speaker, I'm just saying Jesus said the upside is huge. If you're an investor, he's saying here's where you invest. And the downside is also rather uh, formidable. And that is that there's not a lot of people that get it. There's not a lot of people that sign on with that part of it, just like some of us. We're sitting in church today. We kind of got our arms folded in our hearts. We're going, eh, you know, that's your job. You're a pastor. You go get them. <laughs> no. <laughs> we're all in this together. And, in fact, next week we're going to see the whole table gets turned. Jesus now, chapter 10, Pastor Danny's going to bring us this next week. Everything changes. Now the disciples are going out to do ministry. Up to this point, it's all Jesus. And that's why I'm saying this is a really important text for us. The last thing I'll show you, we've got to quit this. And that is in verse 38, Jesus' ministry also includes the principle of not only immersion, compassion, motivation, but also petition. I see this in verse 38 where Jesus says, Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Okay, so the the challenge of the few workers, Jesus said, here's the answer. You need to pray. Now, I think one of the reasons Jesus did that, and I, I don't think it's tricky, but you can't pray about something without getting a heart for it. And so when you pray for stuff, you start thinking about it a lot more. So that's the first step. Jesus wants us to pray. But it's also what God does, because notice it says, you pray the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to what? To send out workers. I want you to underline, if you have your own Bible there, underline the little phrase, send out workers. Actually, the two words send out is from the Greek word ekbalo. It's a Greek verb, which literally means to be thrust out, pushed out, even kicked out with violence if necessary. And I kind of scratch my head. I go, wow, why did Jesus use that word? And then I thought, okay, get it. I get it, Lord. I know why. Because I am so 
lazy at times. And I'm so satisfied at times. And I need at times to get a kick on the backside. You know, we like to think of ministry as like, well, Lord, I'm open, Lord. Just, I just, if you want to call me into something more strategic, Lord, I'll be waiting for that call. <laughs> but that's really not the way ministry looks. Ministry looks more like, God, what are you doing? By the scruff of my neck. I'm not ready for this. I'm not comfortable with this. I'm not prepared for this. And God says, good. Boom, that's right where I want you. Get in there and make a difference. I mean, seriously. God doesn't wait till we're all ready. He says, go. You know, on my vacation, I'd, I'd, I'd run every day. And I put in my iPad or whatever. My, what a, I don't know what I have. I put... <laughs> I have this little electronic device that stores music, and I put it, I, I downloaded uh, uh, something out of the past. Uh, any of you remember Keith Green? Okay, Keith Green was a guy that had significant impact on my life as in the 1970s. He was, in his own generation, he was like a prophet. Uh, I don't mean like, like speaking words that were not in scripture. He just like, he had such a powerful message of, of authentic Christianity and it came out in his music and I hadn't listened to Keith Green forever and so I, I bought the, his greatest hits album and I put it in my head every day I ran and every day I remember coming by this one part of this run where the song came on asleep in the light and I, I don't know I, I did print out the words because I knew I'd mess it up if I tried to remember it but, you know, Keith Green sings. He says, do you see, do you see all the people sinking down? Do you care, do you care? Are you going to let them drown? How can you be so numb not to care if they come? You close your eyes and pretend the job's done. Oh, bless me, Lord. Bless me, Lord. You know, it's all I ever hear. No one aches. No one hurts. No one even sheds one tear. But he cries. He weeps. He bleeds. He cares for your needs. And you just lay back and keep soaking it in. I mean, that, it was just as profound to me that week, and I've been still listening, and I know it's older, you know, uh, the media is different, and, but it still penetrates my heart. And I know we've got to find stuff that penetrates our hearts. We've got to get back to stuff that remind us that this is what it's about. And, and at the top of our prayer journal, every day we're going to be praying for workers, and I have a feeling that part of that is, is for us to be sent out. Are you? Do you feel it? Do you feel like, man, Lord, I'm just so self-satisfied. My life is so full of all the stuff in my life. And who am I really caring for? And who am I really going after? Not as a project, but because you love them more. And boy, if the church of Jesus Christ, I mean three crosses church, and I mean every church that names the name of Jesus, if we got this more dialed in in our hearts, there would be huge change in our culture but we're asleep in the light. We've been so well fed, but we're asleep in the light. Ah, this is not a condemning message. It's just, it's, I'm pointing my fingers, me. I'm saying, Lord, help me as a pastor. I want to model the life of Jesus' ministry, and I believe we do too. I, I really believe that. But that's why we come to the Word of God, because these are reminders to us. And what do we learn from the life of Jesus and his ministry today? Don't look at your notes. What, what did we learn? We learned that Jesus' ministry is, a, is found in the principle of what? Immersion. In the principle of compassion. In the principle of motivation. And in the principle of petition.
And you, know, you can just keep those four things as a grid of your own evaluation and the grid of this ministry. I think we're going to see some movement and some enrichment and some amazement. I do. I do. And I guess you do too. And today, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, the Nazarene, he's inviting you to come. You can give him your life right now. You don't have to join this church. You can trust in Jesus right now. Let's pray together.